And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Frommer. And I'm Pauline Frommer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that is a topic that you all could help us with if you'd like to talk with us, either as a guest on the show or to ask a question or leave a comment on travel. Email me at FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. And even if you don't want to be on the show, we want to make it clear that we're not just here on radio. You can pick up our guidebooks in stores. You can visit us online. Either follow us on social media. Just look for the word Fromer, F-R-O-M-M-E-R, on Pinterest, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, or better yet, Come to Fromers.com, which is a one-stop shop for all of your vacation needs. We have all kinds of journalistically prepared travel advice and information. Now, Pauline, let's start today's program by talking about Hawaii, and that is surely a popular topic. Everybody wants to go to the Hawaiian Islands at some point in their lives, yes. and there has never been a better time for doing so than now. And why is that? It's because a price war, that's right, a price war has suddenly broken out in airfares from the West Coast to Hawaii, airfares that substantially reduce the cost of going there. The uh, price war began this past March and April when Southwest Airlines, that notorious price cutter, Southwest began flying to Hawaii from the West Coast. Wherever Southwest Airlines chooses to fly for the first time, you can bet that prices are going to plummet. They will actually plummet. Now, the chief competitor to Southwest Airlines on its Hawaii routes is Hawaiian Airlines, and Southwest has posed a deathly challenge to that long-established and rather expensive airline that used to charge upwards of $600 round-trip to fly from the West Coast of the United States to Hawaii. The moment the Southwest began flying to Hawaii for such low prices, the profit of Hawaiian Airlines in the second quarter of this year has fallen considerably. But the president of Hawaiian Airlines has recently announced that he will be fighting back. He's not accepting surrender despite the temporary cut in his profits. Uh, He has recently attempted to undercut the economy fares of Southwest by creating a brand new airfare called Basic economy, basic economy, which you pay a very small price for flying there, but you don't receive seat selection, you don't receive meals, you don't receive free movies or, no meals? Uh, or other, oy, oy, oy. other perks on your flight to Hawaii, but that, that, that permits you... I guess you, you just pack it yourself. Pack, right, that yeah. permits you to undercut the airfares of, of Southwest Airlines. Southwest has fought back against Hawaiian Air in a number of ways 
in so many ways that they sometimes change almost daily, and they thus make it impossible to say what you will encounter and how much you will pay on your own trip there. The situation is simply too volatile. For one thing, Southwest has continued its normal practice of permitting passengers to check aboard two pieces of luggage without paying a fee. That's a saving of as much as $50, isn't it, Pauline? Yeah, that's great. Southwest is also, is is presently flying from San Jose and from Oakland, California to Honolulu and Maui, and it will shortly begin flying as well from San Diego and Sacramento to uh, uh, all of them. Those are all... Uh, famous routes that used to be handled almost exclusively by Hawaiian Airlines. And as earlier mentioned, the price war between the two airlines is today so hot and so furious that it is impossible to tell you what you will be charged if you fly there (laughs) tomorrow or two days from now. The, The fares are changing on a daily basis. But you can be assured, absolutely assured, that you will be paying bargain prices. So if you have yearned to enjoy a Hawaiian vacation, now is the time. It will it will never be cheaper to cross the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii than it is now. So go to your computer and see what prices are currently being offered by Southwest Airlines and by Hawaiian Airlines, who are the two prize fighters in the current Price war mm. there. <laughs> now, now let's turn to a more serious travel topic, Paulie. One that nevertheless has an immense significance when you measure uh, the, uh, the travel aspect of what I'm about to say against the economic health of our economy. Mm. Normally, when talking about the economy, our current national administration talks about unemployment and about gross domestic income and other difficult uh, formulas, but they should also be taking into account the amount and the number of foreign tourists that are now coming to our shores. That measurement also has a major impact on the health of our economy. And the current news, the current news, Pauline, is extremely pessimistic. Mm. Just recently, the prestigious U.S. Travel Association has reported that the decline in foreign tourists to the United States is far worse than any of us ever imagined, and the subject calls out for action. Specifically, in the year 2015, just four years ago, our nation used to enjoy 13.7% of all the long-range international travel taking place in the world as a whole. That, that percentage in the year 2020, rather, the year coming up, that percentage will fall to only 11%, hmm. representing a loss of 13 million tourists a Ooh. year who are no longer traveling to our nation and causing a drop-off in spending by those tourists of $59 billion, $59 billion that otherwise would have been spent on hotels, on restaurants, on shops and stores, on transportation, attractions, and all the other items that tourists normally purchase. But wait, 
the figures are going to get even worse. Hmm. They're going to get even worse. According to the U.S. Travel Association, from now until the year 2022, in just that three-year period, the negative figure will amount to a loss of 41 million foreign tourists who would have spent a great deal of money in our country but are no longer spending anywhere near $180 billion in the United States. They are, their, their total expenditures are amounting to less than $180 billion. And now, that means a loss of jobs. By well, some estimates, one out of every 11 Americans works in the travel industry the, in some The full form. effect of that, Pauline, has not yet been expo- hmm. experienced, but it is about to be experienced right. because we're talking about a year from now, uh-huh, sure. just a year from now. now. How are those figures actually experienced? Well, as one example, in New York City today, you are beginning to see a termination of business by small companies operating street window locations Mm. all up and down the streets of Manhattan. As you walk in Manhattan today, you find one company, one small business after another that has gone out of business. And they can no longer enjoy the added business of foreign tourists. Uh, And now, how did that all come about? Although a strong U.S. dollar may have contributed somewhat to that loss, most of it is directly attributed to actions set off by the president. You cannot prohibit tourism from several Muslim-majority nations without suffering a decline in what would have been millions of Muslim tourists coming to the United States. You cannot launch a trade war with China without losing incoming tourism by millions of Chinese tourists. And Chinese travelers are the biggest set of travelers in the world, and they're the biggest spenders. Each one of them spends on the average of seven of $7,000, Pauline. When they come to the U.S. To continue, you cannot proclaim the words America first without convincing millions of would-be foreign visitors visitors, rather that you are an unfriendly nation toward those would-be tourists. You, You cannot suffer mass killings by domestic tourists using assault rifles against their enemies. You cannot do that without frightening millions of foreign tourists from coming here. And as bad as the figures for international tourists coming here, as bad as those figures presently are, they're only getting worse, according to the U.S. Travel Association. All this and more will soon be reflected in overall economic figures that will account in a drop in living standards for most Americans. In effect, let me say it again, you cannot thumb your nose at the rest of the world without dissuading them from coming here as tourists. And our uh, current standard of living is, to a certain extent, directly affected by those incoming tourism figures, which are now so low as well, they are. Well, on that unhappy note, <laughs> we have to take a commercial, uh, but we'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, and our guest today is Scott McCartney. You may know that name because he is the longtime columnist who writes the middle seat column for The Wall Street Journal. Hey, Scott, welcome back to The Travel Show. Great to be with you, Pauline. So in your re- a recent column, you had very good news for travelers, which is... Wi-Fi is going to be more widely available and possibly free. Can you give us just before we get into how that can happen? Can you get us give us a background on on how airlines support Wi-Fi at this point? Yeah, it's re- it's really kind of fascinating. Um, so so if if you sort of stop and think about it, it's really quite amazing that you can get connected to the internet from. Um, from a metal tube that's racing through the sky at, at uh, five or six hundred miles an hour and is five or six miles above ground level. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, Wi-Fi started um, where airplanes uh, uh, could connect with round antennas. So uh, GoGo was the leading company, and they put um, receivers very much like cellular service um, all over the country on the ground. And as the plane would fly along, it would connect uh, from from antenna to antenna, uh, and that would provide um, the ground service. Now, that's obviously uh, limited capacity and slow, and when, as we all know, when a lot of people wanted to use it, uh, often nobody could use it um, because uh, the system would would get overloaded. Right. So airlines started um, switching, uh, and some went directly to satellite-based service. Um, Some have been switching the satellite service, and and there's been a couple of generations of that. Um, uh, the first generation using satellites that uh, the broadcast TV networks use and all, and and later services um, specifically designed for airplane Wi-Fi. Um, and so the satellite service now can uh, really give you a lot of capacity. Um, at very high speeds, and so you get a very good experience, and you can stream video, you can do uh, just about anything you want. Um, and, uh, you know, we have this odd situation in, in airlines, although somewhat typical in some ways to the crazy airline business, where the satellite service is actually uh, a whole lot better and a whole lot cheaper um, hmm. than the ground-based service, uh, which r- really isn't very good service, um, but turns out to be priced um, very expensively because the airlines are actually trying to discourage too many people from using it and clogging that pipeline. Well, yeah, very expensively. And, and I think the frustrating thing that's happened to me probably has happened to a lot of our listeners where you pay $24 or so to get on uh, Wi-Fi during a flight and then it doesn't work. So you say soon, though, many carriers will make it free. Will it be the satellite uh, uh, coverage that's free or the lousy ground service that's free? Um, it'll, it'll be the satellite coverage. Uh, the ground service will still exist mostly on small regional jets um, and older airplanes that are that will be um, uh, retired. Um, they're not investing in the equipment on that. Um, but that's part of the. It, it will probably be a year or two before we'll see 
a big airline uh, offered for free. JetBlue's actually already offering it for free. I know. I, I sometimes, I, because I always buy the the, in, the Wi-Fi because I always have to work on planes, and I've I've started factoring that into the cost when I look at yeah. at JetBlue because it can be so expensive, and JetBlue has it for free. But right. what what the airlines are trying to do, and and just for anybody tuning in late, we are speaking with Scott McCartney, who is the middle seat columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And Scott, what the airlines have to do is they're trying to get sponsors so they don't have to carry the entire cost of installing new systems, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it, you know, when when this started, uh, the attraction of, of GoGo and the ground-based system was GoGo was paying to equip the, the airplane, and then, and then GoGo would collect the revenue uh, when you paid your $20, sometimes up to $40, uh, for for that service, well, the airlines got out of that business, and and they started investing, uh, spending the money for for the satellite equipment, um, and to defray that cost, um, they've been looking at different sponsorships, and you already see some of this. Um, uh, so uh, Amazon has um, sponsored some things uh, um, with, with JetBlue, for example. Right. Uh, American Airlines has a deal with uh, Apple for. For free Apple Music, um, and you could see see that extending. Um, it's a it, you know the people on on airplanes are very attractive to marketers. They have disposable income. Um, they you know they uh, they have specific needs as travelers and things like that. So you could see all kinds of different uh, companies that want to get in front of them. Um, so the sponsorship might be uh, somewhat what what airports tried where. You might have to watch a video to get the right. free um, sure. service or, or you know, you just see the ad and you have to click through that um, to get on the service. Uh, and, um, you know, I think people are, are generally happy with that. They'll, they'll do that to get the free service. The, and um, are, are there any, I mean, so we're talking two years away for most of this, but are there any credit cards or loyalty programs or any other things we can do to join to get this free sooner? Uh, uh, um, no, I, I don't. Um, I'm you don't think. think of any offhand. Yeah, <laughs> this was yeah. a shot in the dark. It's not in your column, so I apologize <laughs> if I stumped you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there there may be something out there. I, I just can't think of it. The, the really interesting thing about free uh, to me is that um, if you charge for Wi-Fi, uh, you know, about 7% to 10% um, of the people on the airplane will actually pay to use it. Um, even if you just charge a dollar, the, the, the having to take out your credit card and log in and, and all of that um, becomes a deterrent for people using it. And what airlines are finding is they're going to invest all this money, and it's a huge customer satisfaction driver. They get co- complaints about Wi-Fi on airplanes, um, more complaints about Wi-Fi than, than just about anything else. Hmm, really? And, and wow. so if they're, if they're going to spend this money, they, they want to reach more of their customers. Yeah. Um, and if they're going to attract sponsors, they want to reach more of their customers. So if you make it free, what, and they've done some testing on this, 40, 50, 60 percent of the people on the airplane will use it. Yeah. And, and that's, that's also why it's going to take two years. Right. You have to get the capacity to where, hey, if 60 percent of the yeah. people on the airplane are going to be using it. Well, thank you work. so much, Scott. We've been speaking with Scott McCartney of The Wall Street Journal. 
listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the phone, we have one of our favorite guests back. She is Andrea Sachs. She is a travel writer for The Washington Post. And her latest adventure sounds really fun. It's She wrote an article titled, In Sweden, A DIY Dining Adventure. Welcome back, Andrea. And what does DIY mean in this case? Hi, it's great to be back, first of all. And DIY, I can't really claim I DIY to my meal because I'm not the greatest at foraging or cooking in the forest. (laughs) But I did, I know some people do it, um, but I did this program in July and it's new for Sweden and it's called Edible Country. And the idea is that you go out, they set up 13 picnic tables all around the country, and they provide recipes online and some foraging tips. And then you're supposed to go out into the woods and forage for your meal and then cook it and then eat it all in the wilderness of Sweden. Wow. So you're you're going out into the woods in Sweden and you're foraging, but is that legal? It is very legal. And this is, it springs from, and it goes back to the Middle Ages, this philosophy and policy that it's called freedom to roam. And really, there's no, there is private land, but really, like, all land is your land. And so there are a couple restrictions. You can't, for example, go into someone's garden and picking their vegetables. Right. But you can go on the outskirts of their property and forage, pick some berries. Um, you can go into, you know, fields as long as they're not harvesting, as long as it's in the, not industrial. So they really encourage you to just roam. Wow, but you're not, okay, so you're foraging, but that is different than hunting. You are not killing animals, right? I did ask that because (laughs) I wondered about the protein. Right. They do have fishing. So for some of the coastal picnic tables, and I went to, I tried out two, one in Smaland down in the south and one in Lapland, Swedish Lapland. And we did try fishing. I am vegan, so I was hoping we wouldn't catch any fish. <laughs> but it was fun to see everyone out with their fishing rods. But they sort of cheated. They brought fish for us. That huh. was still local and fresh. But you can fish. Um, they don't really encourage hunting. It is legal. They do hunt moose. But uh, I, try, I, I stay vegetable. So I you said they vegetable. brought fish for us. So that means there are two ways to do this, right? You can either be truly do-it-yourself and just go to one of these picnic tables, find the recipe and forage, or you can work with someone to help you with this, right? Correct. Yes, there are a couple levels. So the most simple, the most DIY is you just book a seat at one of these picnic tables, and that's free. And then you just get the recipes online, and that's free. And then they But have- you would have to have... A frying pan, right? And maybe some oil or other things? Yep, and that's a great question because you can do add-ons. So you could get a cooking kit, and that will have some really simple camping equipment and some basic, some staples for cooking, like salt and pepper and oil, things that you can't forage for. Right. And that, it varies depending on the location, but it's only, you know, it's like $10, $12. Oh. It's not, especially for Scandinavia, that's a bargain. Uh, yeah. And then you can add on, say, a foraging guide or a chef or a fishing guide or um, someone who will set the table. And mine looked (laughs) like an anthropology catalog. I mean, it was twinkling lights and it was so beautiful. Wow. And so you can do these. It depends on how much you want to spend and how, like, fantasy-like you want to get. So how how much did you spend to have the gorgeous table and the chef? Um, I sort of splurged. So Lapland was a little cheaper. So I had this couple who run the program and they helped me with the foraging and the cooking. And I think they charge about $45, $50. 
and then still for, for for Scandinavia that ain't bad. Exactly, I know that's like budget food, yep. and it was fresh and it was so tasty. And we participated, so it was really fun to sort of see the cooking techniques and know that you had a hand. Well, in let's it. let's 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 unpack that. We are speaking with Andrea Sachs, who's a travel writer for the New York uh, for the uh, <laughs> for the Washington <laughs> Post. I was I was making you a um, a staffer for every major newspaper that's in the great. U.S. Uh, she has a terrific article in the Washington Post called In Sweden, A Do-It-Yourself Dining Adventure. So you're in Lapland, of all places. You show up. What happens? So I'm in Lapland, and where there are tons of reindeers, which is amazing. And I met the couple who were my guides and my escorts. And then first we started just foraging for different herbs and berries. It was early in the season for them, so they're about six weeks behind the south. Uh-huh. So it wasn't berry season yet. It wasn't mushroom season, which oh, I wish I'd go, you know, I'd love to go back for mushrooms. Yeah. But we had a ton of herbs and flowers. And flowers? They, wow. Yes. Yeah. We ate some flowers. We ate clover the, and they were purple and mm. they were tasty. Wow. Twigs do get stuck in your teeth, I have to say. There's some chewy <laughs> bits. <laughs> wow. But no one's there to, you know, clean out your teeth or judge you right. on the twigs in your teeth. And then, so we foraged for probably like 30, 45 minutes. And then we went to the cooking station, which was right on this beautiful lake. It's the deepest lake in Sweden. And then we tried fishing, but it was really, you know, just for the, the kicks of it. And then the chef actually came out with some fish from home uh, and he smoked it. Wow. In Holland that we had fish too, and they smoked it in junipers. Which you can smoke it in that short a time? I mean, in the time it takes to cook dinner? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. That's interesting. I know. They made homemade bread, too. Wow. And we fried bread. We fried bread and we baked bread. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was incredible what they could do. And for the small end, we had a three-course meal, including dessert with homemade caramel that wow. you made on the open fire. And this happens in other parts of Sweden, too. I'm assuming it doesn't happen in the uh, heart of Stockholm, does it? It doesn't. Well, it's very <laughs> close. Very close. It's like a half an hour out on one of the islands from Stockholm, and that one sold out immediately. That one sold out for uh, September. I tried wow. to get on that one. So you could you could do just Stockholm and then do this as a side trip because most uh, visitors from the U.S. to Sweden don't go that far beyond Stockholm. No, and you're absolutely right. And that one is perfect for people who are only there for, there for a day or two because the other ones do take some either train or flights, and um, it, it does take a while to get out there. And once you're out there, you're so happy you, you took this. Yes, of course. Experience, but yeah. you're right. From Stockholm, that one it's called. Um, I'm not sure. It's called Uto Uto. Uto. And it's on the archipelago. Mm, how wonderful! All right. Well, we've been speaking with Andrea Sachs, who wrote a fabulous article for the Washington Post in Sweden DIY dining adventure. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks for having me. listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my father, Arthur Fromer, and on the phone we have Julie Weed, who wrote an interesting piece called The Airport Lounge is Much Improved If You Can Squeeze In. Welcome back to The Travel Show, Julie. What do you mean, if you can squeeze in? Lounges are getting really crowded. They used to be these sort of oases for 
business people just trying to get away from from the airport terminal to do some work and maybe have a cocktail after a long day of meetings. And now there's just, there's so many more people who have access to the lounge and the lounges themselves are improving with better food. So it's, it's getting quite crowded. So why are there more people who have access? I mean, is it because there are more people flying first class and business class? There are more people flying overall. So there are definitely more people buying more expensive tickets. But there's also more people getting credit cards with lounge access. Um, and as I was saying, the lounges are improving. So people want to spend more time there. Whereas, you know, someone might in the past just go from their, you know, car right to the to the gate to catch their plane. Now they're like, oh, at the American Lounge, they have avocado toast this morning. I'm going to stop on my way. And then they, you know, there's just a lot more crowding for a lot of reasons. And what really surprised me in your article was a lot of families may be using them because some lounges now have family-friendly uh, items in them. I think that's going to dismay a lot of business travelers, actually. Yeah, so business travelers are already dismayed. If you look online at, like, bad lounge behavior, you'll just see you know, complaints and videos of kids like running amok in these lounges. <laughs> so I think um, I think that the kids came first and the kids amenities are coming after that. So some places are creating a kid's play space um, or they might just have more like coloring books or just kids snacks, things to keep the kids occupied. I mean, most people just want to come in there for, you know, a place to sit, good Wi-Fi. They want to plug in their phone and have something to eat. Those are kind of the basics. But now with children's playrooms, there's like rooms for nursing mothers in some places. Um, there's spa treatments. There's all kinds of things that are being added for the variety of people that are coming there. Well, what I thought was fascinating in your piece is you make the point, And once again, for anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Julie Weed, who has a great article in The New York Times called The Airport Lounge is Much Improved If You Can Squeeze In. You make the point that often the airport lounge will reflect the nature of the people who are coming to that particular airport. So a lounge in Chicago, say, will be very different from a lounge in Oahu, right? Right. So Chicago is a super busy hub. There'll be more people coming in at all hours. They might be dashing in for a quick snack. Um, in a resort destination, there are probably fewer flights, so the crowd will more come in waves. They'll be just relaxing there for an hour. And so the airlines um, and the independent lounge operators like American Express Centurion Lounges, they design for who's coming in and what they expect to do there. Now, the, the, um, everybody's kind of putting in tens of millions of dollars into these new lounges. Alaska Airlines, for example, is spending $50 million on new lounges. And these things, wow. they have to last a good decade. And so they're being designed now to be more flexible because... People aren't sure, like, what trends are going to come next, but, you know, things are changing so fast. You don't know a decade from now what the needs will be. So the spaces are more flexible to have things moved in and out. The back of the house where the kitchen is is more flexible as to what they're going to bring in and out. So they're kind of designing now knowing that things uh, things trend in and out. And speaking of Alaska Airlines, it's gotten pretty she-she with its lounge in Seattle. I mean, it has things in that lounge that I never thought you would see in an airport lounge. Can you talk about some of the wacky new extras that we're seeing at some lounges? Sure. So Alaska, um, the, the, the hub for Alaska Airlines is Seattle. And so Seattle has been growing by leaps and bounds in its passenger load. So Alaska just opened a third lounge there. They already had two. 
And this one is gigantic. It's 16,000 square feet. It has this beautiful view of the tarmac. Um, but as you said, it has like some extras. It has a nursing area for new mothers. It has a fire pit, which you can kind of sit around and have your, your special craft beer from the Seattle area. Oh, my goodness. Are they giving you like sticks to do s'mores at this fire pit? <laughs> I, have, I didn't see that when I visited, <laughs> but I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, I'd go. I'd buy a pass for that. <laughs> so a fire pit. And, and what about other lounges? What, what other extras are we seeing beyond Alaska Airs? Um, some places have spa treatments. Usually the, the um, international lounges for people taking international flights are even better equipped because people are there for longer. They're business class seat holders, so they paid thousands of dollars. There's places that you can have like literally a sit-down meal in a dining room before you get on your flight. Well, wow. so if you don't want to have the airport food, I mean the airline, sorry, airplane food, you just want to go to sleep for your overnight flight to London or whatever, you can go to that lounge's sit-down dining room, order something off the menu, have your meal, and then go to sleep when you get on the flight. And I love the fact that some of these lounges are trying to reflect the area that they're in. So you say that Delta's lounge at Reagan National outside D.C. has a chandelier that looks like a cherry blossom tree. That's just hilarious. Others are serving local beers. Well, it's a fascinating piece. Uh, do read it. It's by Julie Weed in the New York Times. The airport lounge is much improved if you can squeeze in. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. back to the travel show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And at the beginning of the show, we started out by talking about the drop in travel to the United States. One of the factors in that drop, and it's a minor factor, but it still counts, is how unpleasant flying is in the United States. Not only our, our cumbersome security system, uh, but also a lot of the things that our, our U.S. carriers impose on travelers. And on Fromers.com, which is our website, we have a really great article up called High Boarding Group Number, Don't Panic, The Airlines Are Messing With You. <laughs> Just in the last uh, year or so, the number of boarding groups and the way boarding is done has gotten ever more baroque. And why is that? Because the airlines want to stress out travelers. They want to stress out travelers to the extent that travelers will pay extra fees to feel like they are being treated better. In fact, in 2018, which is the last year we have stats for this, the U.S. airlines collected $4.9 billion dollars just in fees. Pauline, that's absolutely diabolical. Yes. <laughs> absolutely diabolical. You think that they consciously take that into account? They, that, that, they are definitely... That by making the boarding process... More and more Baroque and more, more and more, more cumbersome, cumbersome. And they're putting... That in, people will spend money. And that will people spend will spend money to get a, a, a lower number when they board. Now, this is partially because there's this fight to the death at the boarding gate to get on first so that you can get your uh, luggage into one of those coveted overhead bins, which is, again, uh, because of what the airlines have done to 
passengers. Because airlines now charge for luggage, everybody is competing like mad. There's one website who calls the boarding process or the borders at the boarding process gate lice. Uh, <laughs> just because it's gotten to be such an ugly scene. So the thing to know is calm down. Uh, we know that even if you're in group four, that is usually only premium economy and gold level frequent flyers. That is a small number of people. Even at that high a level, you probably will be able to get your luggage into a bin. In fact, many of these processes are now going up to, to groups seven, eight, and nine depending on the size of the flight. So you're going to hear a lot of numbers, but it doesn't mean there are that many people in each group ahead of you. They're just breaking up the number of people on the plane into smaller groups for those announcements than they used to. As you said earlier, diabolical. To read all about all the details on this, go to Fromers.com. The article, once again, is called High Boarding Group Number Don't Panic. Uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, we love travel despite these problems. And for those who are traveling... We wish you a hearty bon voyage.